Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, and this is episode 42. In this episode, following on from the theme from a couple of episodes ago about buying a home and some rule-based associated with home purchases, I thought I'd discuss a concept called land-to-asset ratio. So we'll talk about what is land-to-asset ratio when buying a property, particularly for investments, and why is it an important metric to consider when buying a home. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast channel over the several months that it's been ongoing, the motto is quite simple. The premise is that I encourage you to save at least 20% of your after-tax income. Put it away into investments and always reinvest the dividends and repeat the above process and automate it. And if you do that, it's likely that you'll end up being wealthier than you ever need to be. And as a result of that, you'll be able to enjoy money, but also at the same time help others and give it away as well. The motto of this podcast also is about long-term saving and investing. That's the aim of the game. So, and also the fact that finance is mostly behavioral. And the reason why automating your personal finances and savings mechanisms is really important is because if you don't know that the money is coming in and it's going out into an investment fund, it's money that you can't see, feel, touch or spend. And if it's automated, then it means you're more likely that it's going to happen over the long term. And we're talking 20, 30 or 40 years. So let's talk about the main topic for the podcast today. What is land to asset ratio and why is it an important metric? Now, Australians love homes. In fact, in most Western democracies and in most countries, people want to own a home. It is one of those things that you get a unique feeling from, and it's one of those things that there's nothing quite like living in your own home. And most Australians want to own one in their lifetime. We have about 1.1 million Australians that make use of negative gearing via various investment properties. We have talked about negative gearing in the past in previous podcasts, but essentially what it means is that you can offset the cost of ownership of a land or uh, investment property that is yielding a rental income, and you can basically deduct that cost from your overall income uh, for your personal income as well. So property in Australia is quite a passion. With the recent RBA interest rate cuts, there is some scope for the property market to pick up moving forward. And in fact, some analysts are already calling it the end of the decline already. That's why when buying an investment property, I feel the land to asset ratio is so important. You can think of it like a rule to abide by or guide you in the long run when you're investigating investment properties. So what is it? What is the land to asset ratio? Well, let's define what an asset is. It's basically a form of investment property. An asset is the building which is on the land. So when you buy the investment property, the actual building on the land is the asset because that's what's going to give you the rental yield. The land, which 
on which the building actually sits on is the physical area in which that asset sits in. So therefore, the land to asset ratio is the proportion of the overall property value made up of the land component. It's best that we use an example at this stage so that we can move forward. So for example, if you purchase a property worth a million dollars and the land value alone is $600,000 and the house value is $400,000, then the land to asset ratio is 60%. Why is this important? Well, it's important because land is the primary driver of price growth. So if you're looking for investment properties and you want capital appreciation in addition to rental income, you should buy an investment property with land in it. So buying things like apartments or units or townhouses, which often have a body corporate and don't actually have their own land, is probably not a great strategy if you're looking for long-term capital appreciation. But if you're looking for just rental yield, yeah, those types of properties produce good, fair, consistent income in the long run. But the actual value of the property may not increase in the long run. So it's important because... The land is a primary growth um, over time in terms of value, and the actual dwelling that's on the land actually depreciates over time. So for this reason, you want to buy an investment property where the land makes up the majority of the overall value of the property. So if you want to buy an investment property, the general rule of thumb is the land-to-asset ratio should be relatively high. How can you determine the land value for a property which has a dwelling in it? So how do you go about doing that? Well, you need to calculate the average cost per square meter in the proposed area you wish to buy. For example, if you buy a property worth a million dollars and the land is a thousand square meters, then the price per square meter is approximately one million dollars divided by a thousand square meters, so a thousand dollars per square meter. Now that includes the dwelling, so it's not going to give you exactly the accurate price. So you might need to subtract the value of the dwelling from the million dollars that you purchased the property as, but that gives you a rough idea on how to calculate the average cost per square meter. And the best way to do that is you need to research what is being sold in the area you wish to buy in and then break down the cost per square meter. So basically, if you use domain or if you use realestate.com.au, the first thing I do when I'm looking for investment properties is go to the sold section and have a look for the last three months what's been the data in terms of the prices of the properties that have been sold in that area. Now, most banks, so for example, Commonwealth Bank, um, basically supply this for you for free. Um, so you don't need to actually pay for it. So if you have a bank manager or a relationship manager for your banking, then basically you can just ask them and they will give it to you for free. Number two. So I did this whole, you know, per square meter calculation when I bought my most recent investment property, which is about a couple of years ago now. So I did buy a little bit at the boom times. And the real estate agent was actually taken aback with my offer because basically I proposed a mathematical formula for the reasons I'm offering the price that I'm offering. And he couldn't understand it and he wouldn't understand it. And he wanted me to buy on emotion. Basically, he wanted, he basically said, it's all too technical. It's all too confusing. Um, and to be honest, I, I didn't think it was very confusing. I just basically, you know, I love mathematics. So I just basically drummed out a formula and said, this is the per square meter value for this property. And this is what I'm offering, which is actually a little bit higher than what was the actual per square meter value. And the reason for that is because that was an off-market property. But 
you know, it was actually quite funny because we went back and forth. He kind of didn't understand it. Um, he was expecting me to buy an emotion, which I tend not to do. And in the end, we ended up buying the property, accepted an offer that I did make and probably paid a little bit too much. But of course, because it was an off-market property, I had no competition. It was basically one-on-one. We nutted it out in that boardroom at his real estate agent office, okay? So basically, the best way to work out the land per square meter value, as I talked about before, is to find a vacant block of land or maybe look up realestate.com.au in the area of your choosing. Um, But if you want just the land these days in Melbourne, if you're looking for established suburbs, it's quite difficult. You might have to include a dwelling price into it and then calculate what the sold price was divided by the total land for that property. So it's actually quite difficult to do in established areas because you don't have any vacant land, so you're going to have to use the existing dwellings. But in new areas, um, you know, there's a lot of new areas in the western suburbs, in the southeast, in the outer outer southeast, you know, possibly past Berwick, etc. If you're thinking about those sort of areas, there is still being land being sold, then it's a great sort of strategy to use in terms of investment. If you're thinking about buying an investment property, and I guess you can use this to buy your own property as well, to buy a principal property of residence. I don't see any reason why you can't use it, but um, it's more sort of designed for investment properties because you're expecting a return on that investment. That is via rental yield, but also via capital appreciation over the long term. So I guess now we know what land to asset value means and how do you calculate it. What is the ideal ratio when it comes to land to asset ratio? So what is it? So I feel the bare minimum should be at least 50%. Um, But ideally, you want to aim for about 70%. So 70% of the overall value of the property should be land-based, and only 30% of the overall property value should be dwelling-based, the actual building costs, okay? So there's a term in housing called overcapitalization, which means you've spent so much money on the building when compared to its worth, and you can extend that definition to include the situation where you spend so much more money on the dwelling than what the land is worth. So let's use an example to see what would be an ideal land-to-asset value ratio. Um, So you buy land, let's say, for $400,000, and you build a home for $400,000, so the total value now or the total cost becomes $800,000. And the total value, uh, then then you look at the land to asset value is now 50%. That is 50% of the total value is the value of the land. But supposing for the same land, which is $400,000, you want to build a home for $600,000, then the land to asset value becomes 40%. In other words, the land is valued at $400,000, the house is valued at $600,000, so the total value is a million dollars but the land is only worth 40% of that million dollars. And in my view, that's too much. You've just spent so much money on the dwelling, which is a depreciating asset. So there's no point spending that much money on the dwelling. And that's where you can potentially overcapitalize on the house and actually spend too much money and go overboard. So of course, when you're building a house, you want the best carpets, you want the best floorboards, you want the best everything you got to make sure that you calculate what your maximum dwelling price should be with respect to the land value. So what, what does that mean? So basically, now the land to asset value is now 40% for that particular example. And this means you've invested in a depreciating asset far more than what you should have, and you can potentially get yourself into trouble if the property prices decline. Remember, land appreciates in value over the long term. Houses, buildings, actual dwellings depreciate in value. So you want to make sure when you do investments, 
You want to do investments in things that appreciate in value, not in depreciate in value. So this sounds very, very basic, but when you're buying homes, people react out of emotion. So hopefully this gives you a bit of a formula, a bit of a strategy to approach that before you start researching. Now, point number two, the land to asset value is also important if you're renovating because you, it avoids you to spend too much money on your own home, which is a depreciating asset. So when I say your own home, I'm talking about the actual dwelling, okay, the building component. So this answers the important question, how much money should I spend on my renovation for my home? So you can use the land to asset value ratio to determine the rough guide for this estimate. And we've discussed about overcapitalization just before. So basically, when you're renovating your own home, you can calculate, okay, what is the total value of the property? What is the value of the dwelling? And what is the value of the land? And I want to make sure that my land to asset ratio is at least 50%, or in my humble opinion, should be at least 70%. Okay, that's the ideal land to asset ratio. So let's look at what sort of properties have high land to asset ratios. So at this stage, I want you to go back and have a look at your own property and see how much of the land component is the value of the total property and how much of the building component is the total property. And of course, if you've got a brand new area, brand new house, your, your, your building component is going to be valued you know, as much as the land component, which is completely, you know, that, I, I can see how that could happen. But if you're living in an older suburb, you've got an older dwelling, hopefully your land has appreciated so much over time and your dwelling has depreciated, so you've got a very high land-to-asset ratio, which is fantastic. So what sort of properties have high land-to-asset ratios? Older suburbs, they have smaller homes, larger land sizes, and because land depreciates in value over time, this means the land-to-asset ratio is often very, very high. So if you're thinking of an investment property, you should try and purchase it in areas which have higher value growth, which are more established suburbs. So in Melbourne, most of the inner eastern suburbs and inner southeastern suburbs, uh, possibly some of the inner northern suburbs, are very well established. So you should try and invest in those suburbs. But guess what? Those suburbs are very, very expensive. But if you have a very long-term view, perhaps buying in a new area will be good because you will hold on to the property for over 40 years. And over that time, the same area will improve its outlook, value because of infrastructure development, servicing, etc., etc. So over time, a new area today may actually end up being a very blue chippy in the next sort of 40 years or so. But there is a problem. What is the main problem then with buying an investment home with high land-to-asset ratio? Buying a home with high land-to-asset ratio may not be the holy grail because there are some associated inherent problems. Now, the main problem is if you're investing for a home, you want to make sure you have good rental yields. So the rental yields are often lower because the price is often higher for such properties. And this is because renters don't really care about your property appreciating. Like if I was a renter, why would I care that your property is appreciating? I want to live in a good home. I want to be comfortable. So I don't really care, which means my rent for your old daggy home is not going to be very good, which means they're more likely to pay more for a better home in a newer suburb than they are paying for an older home in an older suburb. So why is that rental yield so important? Let's have a look at an example. So if you have a million dollar property, which is renting at $2,000 per calendar month, then your per year rental yield becomes 24,000 divided by a million dollar value multiplied by 100, which is around 2.4%. So to make money on that property, you would hope 
the value of the property increases with time because with those sorts of yields, 2.4% yield, it's probably not worth buying such investment properties purely for the yield. So again, when investing, my motto, and I think I've talked about this ad nauseum with this podcast channel, is I don't invest for five years. I don't invest for 10 years. I invest for 20, 30, 40 years. So if you look at the long-term approach, whether you buy property or shares or whatever it is, it's likely that over the long term, you're going to make money. But if you're going to buy a huge house, uh, probably not a huge house, sorry, a smaller house in a very well-established inner eastern Melbourne suburb, for example, you're going to pay top dollar for it and your rental yield is going to be quite low. So the second problem with um, you know, properties that have you know high land, um, high land to asset ratio, is that your rental yields are low, but also that means older homes and older suburbs means more maintenance and more upkeep costs of such homes will be higher than brand new homes, which means the outgoings, the repair costs will be higher, which eats up your rental yields. So the property that I bought a few years ago was in a slightly established suburbs in the inner north, um, and basically it's had repairs. And retrospectively, my share portfolio, my Vanguard portfolio, my other share portfolio, my superannuation, whatever it is, my portfolio has never rang me and said, hey, Dev Raga, the gas heater's broken. Hey, look, the lawn needs doing, or the pipes have burst, or there's a toilet that's blocked, or the cupboard's broken, or the windows are smashed. Whatever it is, stock portfolios never do that. Whereas property... There's always maintenance and the house was just run down. It was old. I had to do a bit of renovations. I had to put in your garage door. All that costs money. But I'm not thinking about the next five or 10 years. I'm hoping to hold that on for the next 20, 30, 40 years because I know I'll double, triple, quadruple my money in that time in Australia where net migration, net population grows high. Melbourne is a booming city. It's a world metropolis. It's one of the best cities in the world to live in. Shout out to Melbourne. Did you did you, did you notice that? I sort of sneaked that one in there for you Sydney siders. Um, but essentially, I'm holding it on for the long term, so I don't really mind spending that money in terms of renovations, in terms of costs, but that is a downside. So if, you, if you're thinking five or ten years, it's probably not worth buying a very expensive home in a very expensive suburb for investment. So that's land-to-asset ratio. So in summary, we've talked about what is land-to-asset ratio. We've talked about some of the important reasons why it is very, very important. Uh, we've talked about what is the optimal land-to-asset ratio you should be aiming for. The bare minimum is 50%. The ideal, in my view, is about 70%. Um, and why it's dangerous to overcapitalize on your property. And what is the definition of overcapitalization? We talked about some examples earlier. Number 0.5 is we talked about what are the disadvantages of properties which have high land-to-asset ratios. And we talked about rental yields that are low as a result of that and maintenance costs which are also very high as a result of that, given these homes are quite old in very old established bird chip suburbs. And why is rental yield important? Well, remember, yield is the income your investment generates. And I can tell you my yields in the stock market are close to 4 to 5%. So why would I invest in a property which rental yields only 2 or 3%, which is an inflation rate? I would if I can guarantee the property value to rise over time, but nothing in life is guaranteed, and that's why I have a mix of properties, I have a mix of shares and index funds to ensure the balance is just right, and that's why I don't invest for the short term. I always invest for the long term, 20, 30, 40 years. Every asset that I've ever bought, I've never actually sold. So this comes down to the next big question. What about asset allocation? 
property versus stocks versus gold versus cash versus commodities. How much of each of those should you have in your portfolio? You know what? That's a topic for another um, for another day. So sometime in the future, I hope to do a podcast about that, hopefully. But today is all about land to asset ratio. And today is all about having a formula, a guide to buying that investment property at a land to asset ratio, which is optimum at 70%. So this is Devraga Personal Finance. Thank you very much for listening. This is episode number 42, which is coming to a close. We're actually approaching the one-year anniversary since I started this podcast channel. And I just did it for my own learning. I did it because I enjoyed personal finance. There were some things that I've learned over the last 10 years. And I thought, you know what? If I can revise these topics, if I can promote them, if I can educate other people, then hopefully other people will benefit. And I really appreciate a lot of other people that have just Facebooked me, SMSed me, whatever it is to tell me about their situation and to share their joy. And I get messages all the time about how the 20% saving after-tax rule has completely changed their life. And I had one particular doctor uh, who basically said that has just completely changed their budget. He used to worry about budgeting every little thing in their house. Um, but now he's employed this model, which is basically paying himself first and investing and saving and once he's done that for the first 20% of his after-tax income, he doesn't really mind about the other aspect of his life because he knows that he's paid himself first. He knows the money he's put aside. Whereas in the past, what he used to do is budget, 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 budget for every little thing. And what happens is by the end of the month, you have no leftover money and you've got nothing to pay yourself. So it's fantastic to see that this is potentially life-changing for some people. And it's something that I've practiced over the last 10 years. And it's something that David Bach has sort of worldwide promoted it. And it's a really, really simple concept to grasp. Really appreciate all the support that I'm getting. So remember the motto, always pay yourself first, save that 20% of your after-tax income and invest it consistently forever and reinvest the dividends and enjoy your wealth. And of course, give some of it away. Try and help other people if you can. Thanks for listening and participating, and feel free to contact for questions or comments. I know some people have asked me questions on CastBox itself, which is fantastic. Now, remember, I'm not a financial advisor, so take this podcast for entertainment value and learning purposes, as I don't know your complete financial history or situation. Until next time, this is Dev Rucker, Personal Finance, Episode 42. Stay safe. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.